HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I am a lineman for the county And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another That's our intro music this week on the Heritage Radio Farm Report. We have a very special guest, a very good friend of Heritage, Mario Fantasma. Mario, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. I bet you you're sitting over there in Missouri in Trimble with a nice Crown Royal. I know that's your drink. I'm sorry? I said I bet you're sitting there in Trimble with a nice Crown Royal. I know that's your drink. <laughs> well, not yet, anyway. Uh-huh. Now, <laughs> it will be. <laughs> the Phantasmas run uh, Paradise Locker Meats, for all our listeners who aren't familiar with you already or who haven't already enjoyed the fruits of your labor, in Trimble, Missouri. And the word phantasma means ghost in Italian. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. My etymology is correct. Um, so basically, the farm farm report canvases American farmers uh, to bring <coughs> to the to the consumer, you know, the, the farmers in their own voice. And today we're sort of doing a special, like a post production special, on the distributors and the slaughterhouses to sort of get their voice on the food movement and on what they're doing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the day-to-day operations of Paradise Locker Meats and what you guys do? Well, we uh, we basically started out doing uh, custom work for local farmers here. And then when uh, we began doing the business with Heritage Foods, uh, again, we just kind of continued that same thing. Uh, they contacted farmers and wanted to start this uh, pork production uh, with local farmers. And uh, so it fit right into our realm, and, and that's what we've been doing. So is it you guys that scout and go out and find the farmers? Is it is that how it worked before Heritage came along? Or how did you guys find the farmers that were producing the kind of meat that met your standards? Well, the farmers actually found us. Um, you know, we are a small butcher shop. Um, and like I said, you know, to begin with, we were a community-style butcher shop. So... Uh, we handle all the local farmers, and they've always had very, very good products. Uh, you know, they uh, small farms like this, they, they take extra care into, in what they raise and, and how they feed their animals, and uh, it just produces excellent product. So why do you think Heritage chose you guys? I mean, what sets you guys apart from the normal slaughterhouse? Well, we, uh, we can pay attention to detail uh, for Heritage Foods, especially for the cuts that the uh, chefs like. Um, you know, we'll go in and, and we customize what they want done. Weekly. So, 
Yes, on a weekly basis. So uh, every week even, it changes. Could it, <laughs> could it be done even daily? Like, for example, could someone call you and say, oh, I don't know, the fatty crab needs so many cuts of this kind of meat, and you could, could you do it pretty much on the spot? Well, that, that's a little more difficult because we, uh, you know, they, they bring in a certain amount of hogs from the farmers, and they try to judge what they can do and what they can sell uh, for the farmers. And uh, so we, uh, we kind of need a little bit of head, uh, you know, a little bit of notice on this stuff, about a week's notice usually. Okay. Uh, try to get the orders in, uh, you know, the week before or, uh, you know, a couple of days before we actually cut the hogs. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Now, I know a lot of I know a lot of our listeners has pro- have probably seen film portrayals of slaughterhouses or have some idea of what goes on in them. But why don't you explain to us on a technical level some of the tools and some of the you know some of the equipment that you use to get these specific cuts and what goes into you know this final product that the consumer gets on their table. What is some of the machinery and some of the devices used to make it? Well, uh, first of all, we use a scalder in the butchering process, and that's the actual uh, uh, kill of the animal. Uh, uh, we use the uh, scalder to get all the hair off the carcasses, and then uh, we sanitize the carcasses uh, prior to them being cut up. Uh, the refrigeration equipment's important. We use the uh, uh, we beefed up our coolers to handle the the amount of uh, product that goes in. So right now the product's getting chilled within about 14 hours from about 103 degrees down to 40 degrees internal temperature. Okay. Uh, when the products come through and, and go on the cutting tables, we have saws. We've had to invest uh, money into different uh, uh, pieces of equipment to make our job a little bit easier. Um, you know, we have hand skinners and then we have belly skinners and of course the saws and the grinders and, and that kind of equipment. Gotcha. So now, before you can even get to that phase, you get the animals live from the farm before slaughter. And I understand Patrick tells me a couple times, even recently, the animals have escaped. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we just had one escape from us the other day. Uh, he okay. slipped underneath the truck, and uh, and then the chase was on. So, uh, fortunately, we have a five-acre field and <laughs> around us, so uh, um, we were able to... Uh, to get the hog back safely. What about the, the the first time that an animal escaped? Oh no! Yeah, he. Uh, you mean when I first opened? Well, I I thought you had two escapes. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the first shop that we had, uh, it, it was burnt down in uh, 2002, and and uh, the first animal I got, and that was back in 1995. Um, uh, a gentleman brought a a uh, steer over and it was pretty crazy and very skittish and uh, uh, the animal went right through the roof where our holding pen area was so uh, we had to go chase that animal down uh, close by uh, Smithville Lake so uh, it was it was that was the very first one I had to do and and that was pretty crazy so uh, so I read an article about you guys in the New York Times recently or actually I think it was something like in February and it was talking about the the alarming, like the staggering expansion that you guys have undergone since 2003. If I understand correctly, you guys had five employees in 2003, right? That's correct. And now you're pushing 25. Yes. So can you explain to us a little bit how you expanded so much and so quickly? What initiatives you took to expand? Who were the biggest players in this expansion? And in short, how and why you're doing so much more business? 
Well, you know, uh, when we first started uh, and I originally built this place, uh, I was planning on doing about 10 hogs and 10 beef a week, and and depending on uh, deer season during the fall and also the retail business. Um, so it didn't take a lot of people to do that that much work. And, uh, and when uh, we actually became state inspected at that time, so we were starting to get a few requests for some inspected products, uh, and then uh, Heritage came along, and uh, that kind of changed everything. Um, you know, our, our building was big enough, and, and, and at this point, you know, what we're doing today, I have no idea how we're doing it. <laughs> it's, it's totally insane. I mean, we, have, we just kind of adapt. You know, you, you just kind of adapt to the situation and then the business, and uh, we know when to say no. Uh, we know when we are uh, oh, pushing so now, our limits, and so you have more demand for business than you can than you can oh, actually yeah. fulfill. Absolutely. So Absolutely. why do you think so many people are looking to you guys? I mean, aren't slaughterhouses fairly common? Uh, yes, they are, but there have been a lot of small slaughterhouses that have gone out of business. Uh, whether it was uh, you know families didn't want to continue to run the business or uh, you know whatever the case was um, you know people retiring and and I think that was the biggest thing was the people retiring and, and nobody really wanted to buy into the business it's hard work right you know it's it's not an easy job to do and uh, it takes a lot of uh, oh it does it takes a lot of work to keep this thing going and and keep up with everything and the and the rising cost of everything so uh, I guess you got to be a little bit crazy to to do this thing. <laughs> so, and so, but you think also that it's your ability to fit the specific orders of distributors that also makes you an attractive candidate for their business? I mean, sometimes I hear Patrick on the phone telling you guys what he needs, like almost on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, and you guys bend and flex the orders accordingly, right? Yes, we do. Okay, and yeah. is that common among slaughterhouses, or...? Not really. Uh, most slaughterhouses have uh, certain ways that they do things. Um, you know, they uh, let's say they bring a hog in and and uh, they go through the through lines and they they uh, they butcher all these animals and everything gets done exactly the same way throughout the whole system. So uh, they have uh, predetermined cuts that they're going to make. Whereas we uh, here we just do what the chefs want or what our customers want. It's more you of know, a slow uh, what, food what heritage wants. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's a little bit different. We're more of a hands-on type company. Okay. Yeah. And what would you say is the state of the American slaughter business? I mean, how is this how has this industry changed in the in the years since you have begun to have have been a practitioner? I mean, even since 2003 since this staggering expansion began, what kind of changes have you seen in the overall landscape of the industry? What I've seen more than anything is is uh, is the demand for locally raised products, uh, products from small farms. Uh, you know, people are more interested in that. Um, you know, they they want to know where their products coming from. Mm-hmm. So uh, that in itself is is kind of opened up the doors for small farms to uh, to be able to uh, produce the the products and get them sold. Uh, you know, for a long time, small farms have been being pushed out sure. of, of the agriculture business. Sure, and, uh, dropping off the map. Absolutely, and uh, you know, and and uh, I think that just the marketing that Heritage has done over the last five or six years, uh, and and promoting these products and pushing for these products to to uh, to be reestablished, basically, and. Uh, uh, I, I think that all that has a big effect on why we're doing what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. 
Now, what kind of relationship do you have with government legislation? Are there bureaucratic impediments that keep you from doing your business the way you'd like to? Are there sort of are there you know, corners say, that big big slaughterhouses can cut that you can't? Uh, you know, it's it's really different. Uh, you know, what we do is so different than what the large slaughterhouses do. That, and really, the the government um, they really we don't have an issue with them at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, with what we're doing here, uh, you know, we're doing it on a smaller scale, obviously, but, um, you know, uh, we don't get a lot of resistance from the government or, uh, from anybody else for that matter. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that the, uh, um, the, our inspectors here, uh, appreciate us being here. Uh, you know, it's, uh, obviously it, they have their job to do and, and we have ours and, uh, you know, we all want to make a good product, and we want it. You know, we want it to go out the door, and and uh, that's in good shape and and uh, healthy for the for our customers. And what are the protocols for these inspections? I mean, what kinds of standards do you guys have to meet from the federal government? It's all uh, it's all FSIS uh, USDA regulations. Uh, we have to meet all those regulations, and and basically, it's the same regulations as the uh, large slaughterhouses have to follow. And do they? Yes, they do, for the most part. Yes, they do. I mean, and I can't, uh, you know, I couldn't say that they don't. I, I really don't know. I mean, everybody has their own HACCP plan that they follow, and uh, that's where it's coming down. To, you know, you're accountable for what goes out your building and um, and, and out your business. So uh, uh, we have to follow our HACCP plan. They have to follow theirs. And, um, you know, there's, there's I'm sure there's things that slip through the cracks here and there, but, uh, you know, those are mistakes. We're all human, and we make those mistakes. But, uh, you know, the the key is is to follow your HACCP plan and make sure that your product's going out the door. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, you, you touched upon briefly the, the whole animal movement that is sort of taking over the the meat, the meat market in the United States. People have become more conscious of consuming the whole animal, not just the prime cuts. You know, and yeah. and chefs have been working on preparations to bring, you know, the best flavor out of the offcuts and to not waste any of the animal. I mean, how much of a role has this new philosophy played in your recent success as a provider of every cut? I mean, how much more work does it give you to have to not just cut a couple parts of the animal? It's a lot of extra work. <laughs> uh-huh. But, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, the ears get used, the tails get used, uh, the feet, the... Uh, you know the livers, the tongues, the hearts, uh, all these, all these pieces that are considered off owl that, um, you know, uh, that a lot of people don't like. Well, you know what's great about it is, is the chefs. You know what they're doing with it is amazing. You know they're really creating some neat stuff with this. With this, uh, you know, even you know I hate liver, but I eat it now. You know, right? <laughs> what's your favorite off cut? Uh, you know, I, I tried the pork tongue. And I also tried the pork heart, and <laughs> I was very, very impressed with the both of those. Uh, who, who, which farmers? Uh, it, it, you know, it, it really didn't matter which farmer that's bringing them in. I mean, all the farmers that were that are bringing the pork in, um, uh, whether it's Berkshire or the Duroc or the Red Wattle uh, or even the Tamworth, um, they all have one thing in common: they're all outdoor raised and dirt raised, and uh, and the meat quality's there. Uh-huh. You know, it's just fantastic pork. So uh, uh, I think what these guys do with their with their animals is is what makes the the uh, 
the off parts so so good. And what's your favorite of those breeds, and why? You know, uh, to be honest with you, I really don't have a favorite. I I, I like them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like the the reason you know the way they're fed. Um, they carry much more fat uh, than than um, than the commodity porks do, and uh, to me, that's what brings the flavor out in the pork. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the inter intermuscular fat, the uh, the natural intermuscular fat, the uh, you know the 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 fat back on on the hogs. You know, when they're coming in with an inch and a quarter, inch and a half of back fat on them. It uh, it just shows me that those animals were cared for and they were fed very well. Uh-huh. And uh, so whether it's the Burke or the Red Waddle uh, or even the Duroc, you know, it's uh, they'll all do. They, they <laughs> I like them all. <laughs> gotcha. So we we have a couple minutes left. So I want to shift back. I want to shift back to Paradise Locker and ask you what your five and ten year plans are. I mean. If you've grown this much in five years, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Do you want to absorb even more growth, or do you want to kind of stay where you are? Well, actually, we'd like to. Uh, uh, we are working on some plans right now to expand. Uh, we would like to uh, have a warehouse here, um, you know, for the local farmers, of course, and and uh, just to have some more space and and maybe even do a little more slaughtering. Uh, a little more cutting and maybe uh, improve our numbers here a little bit uh, and help out some more farmers get in their product on the table. Um, so, uh, yeah, an expansion is is, is in the picture here. Uh, within the next five years, I'd like to see this completed and uh, you know actually have a, a physical warehouse to, uh, where trucks can actually back up to and, and load and unload and and uh, you know, uh, do the things that we would like to to do. You know, improve on our smoke products and and. Uh, oh, you guys make some in, do some in-house smoking. Oh yeah, yeah, we're doing that right now. And, what other uh, in-house preparations do you guys take on? Oh shoot, uh, we do uh, uh, FedEx shipping. Uh, we do. Oh shoot, uh, curing and smoking of products. We do um, uh, all the custom work. Uh, we do specialized sausages. Uh, so yeah, we do an array of things, you know, uh, we have to be diverse though uh, gotcha. in this business, you know, gotcha. we have to do a lot of different things, which kind of makes things hectic. So <laughs> I can imagine. So, and looking at the bigger picture, what's the future you think of the American slaughter business and of the American sort of slow meat movement? I mean, do you think it's going to keep, keep taking off or do you think it's going to, it's going to hit a ceiling at some point? Where do you see the American meat processing industry being in, in five and 10 years? Yeah, I don't think it's going to hit a ceiling. I think this is increasing, uh, you know, the momentum's there right now, and then it's increasing, uh, you know, especially in this day and age with the way the economy is. Um, you know, our, our business has been strong. We've been doing well. Uh, we've been doing a lot of animals, a consistent amount of animals uh, every week. So, um, you know, I, I see this to, to even get bigger. You know, I really do. I, I think this is something that... That uh, people are not just. This is not just a fad. You know, mm-hmm. this, this is what people eat every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, the importance of what they eat and knowing where it comes from is going to override everything else. And do you think we'll be able to get the price points of these better products down so that they're a little more comparable to the mass-produced meat? Well, you know, uh, that's another problem too. Um, you know, what it takes for small farmers to produce pork. Is, uh, is it's just cost them a lot more than it does for the large factory farms. Um, right. You know, they, they have the volumes. 
they could run stuff cheaper. And uh, the small farms, you know, we're using uh, eight, nine, ten different small farmers here, um, you know, for the heritage products and uh, for selling our own products here at our stores. So, um, you know, I, at some point, I would I would think that we would see a little bit of a, a price decrease. But you know, the American public has been enjoying cheap food for years and years and years. Right. And uh, you know, um, you know, and it's been at, at pretty much at the expense of the farmer. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think the farmer deserves more. I agree with you. Well, I want to thank you profoundly for joining us on the show. This is a really informative, really good program. And we want you to keep up the good work that you're doing over there at Paradise Locker. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Okay. Well, you're definitely a friend of the network, so I'm sure we'll have you on many more times to come. Okay. Be looking forward to it. <laughs> bye, Mario. Okay, Lorenzo. Bye-bye. <laughs> We're back, little Beastie Boys, for your ears, Heritage Radio Network, Friday, June 26th, Farm Report, Section 2, with Dan and Will Purdy. How are you guys? Hey, how you doing? Uh, Dan's joining us from Sherburne, New York, is that right? That's right, yeah, we're from Sherburne, New York. My brother's not on the phone as of yet. Uh, I presume we're going to be talking about the meat aspect. But yeah, Sherburne, New York, which is right in the heart of the state. I've uh, pretty much been uh, lived here my whole life and whatnot. My family's originally from Long Island, um, but moved here in the uh, early 60s. Okay. And you guys are basically a distributor and manufacturer of high-quality meat products, right? Uh, yeah, our company is very, very diverse, um, and there's really three aspects. Um, we are a federally inspected third-party audited company, Okay. Um, and we're distributors and manufacturers. Of many things, you know, everything from commodity, uh, pork, beef, uh, poultry, seafoods, um, right to all-natural hanging, you know, rail-hanging um, carcass. Um, and we manufacture uh, many of these items and distribute them to high-end restaurants, uh, institutions, colleges, and we also manufacture for many redistributors. Gotcha. So did you get a chance to hear our first farm report with uh, Mr. Fantasma of Paradise Locker? I'm sorry, what's that, sir? Did you get a chance to hear our first farm report today? With um, Mr. I listened to the very end. Unfortunately, I was, on a, I was on a couple business calls that I had to take, but I listened to a little bit of, of, at the end, uh, and it was interesting, some of his perspective of, from where he's at, um, you know, compared to New York, uh, you know, New York State. So how, how does a business like yours connect with a slaughterhouse like his? I mean, where do your businesses intersect? I understand you guys don't do your own slaughtering, right? As of right now, um, we don't. When we get into some of our short and long-term goals, uh, I'll be discussing that. But um, as of right now, we do not slaughter. However, we outsource the slaughter to uh, a couple different facilities that are, um, you know, in in you know in the region and whatnot. Okay. So, <clears throat> when you say you're a manufacturer, what does that entail? I mean, you get the cut orders from restaurants, and then you. You send those orders over to the slaughterhouse, or how do you determine essentially the final product? Well, what, 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 how, how the whole system works is um, basically when we, when we need an all-natural you know, all uh, 
uh, animals and things of that nature. Um, we do the farm sourcing. Like I was saying, we have many aspects of our business. Um, one aspect is called Excelsior All Natural. And that division of our company, what we do is we farm source. We go around uh, everywhere in central New York and to the Finger Lakes, and uh, we hook up with farmers that grow everything from, you know, vegetables uh, to beans to hogs and beef. Okay. Um, and you're asking as far as the processing aspect. So let's say we have uh, someone who wants, uh, a customer who wants 10 hogs manufactured. We'll uh, we'll call up farms and uh, we'll make sure that they're of the quality that we expect, and uh, we'll have them hauled to slaughter. Uh, slaughter will have them um, uh, prepared for us, and then we, uh, due to the fact we we have distribution networks, uh, our truck picks them up and brings them to our facility. We'll have instructions from the customer of how they want those animals cut, and we will do it to their spec. Uh, we'll manufacture it uh, to exactly the way they want it, uh, cut, wrapped, uh, uh, you know, labeled uh, with the farm source on it, and, uh, you know, ready for uh, reshipment. And, I mean, how flexible can your ordering schedule get? I mean, do you have to have your orders, like what kind of cuts they want per week, or can you even do it on a day-to-day basis? Uh, as far as, you know, what's the timeline in which I need to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, say a restaurant says, you know what, we need 35 of this off-cut. I mean, can you make that happen in a day or two, or do you need, or is it like a weekly order basis? Yeah, from, from farm source to end product is about a week and a half to two. Okay. Um, but uh, we pride ourselves, and one of our uh, success successes has been that we're able to have that turnaround. Like, for instance, when hogs come in here, let's say 20 hogs come, and we have customers, uh, you know, redistributors out in Boston and, and in, in, uh, uh, near the Finger Lakes and different things of that nature, I can, manuf- I can receive product on a Monday, manufacture it on a Tuesday, and have it ready for shipment Tuesday afternoon. Huh. It's, it's, so farm to table, it could, in theory, be three or four days, five days. What's that? So farm to table, it could, in theory, be three or four days. No, from the farm to the table is about a week and a half. Okay. Because you got you have to order the you have to order the hogs, have them ready, make sure they're of the up, you know the proper weight and different things of that nature. They get trucked to the slaughter. The slaughter takes a you know no twenty four hours, and then we have to let them hang there for minimum twenty four hours. And then uh, the the day it hits our door, the very next day we're manufacturing that product. I see. And so now you guys have certain standards on what farmers you'll actually even take on as customers, right? I mean, oh, if, a, if, a, if a major, you know, if a major corporate or big business farm asked you guys to slaughter animals for them, would you take on their business? We we. As far as standards go for a farm, I'm having a little hard time hearing you. Oh, you are? Okay, I'll speak louder. It's okay. Uh, it's probably my phone. It's, it's thunderstorming here. So. Yeah. Um, as, as far as our farms and how we source from there, yes, there is a definite criteria. We go through a third-party audit process in order for us to, um, you know, manufacture our products and have them distributed into um, large corporations such as Sedesco or Compass Group or someone like that. So we are a third-party audited company. Third-party audited company is basically making sure that our food safety practices are of the highest 
um, you know, uh, you know, quality Standards. and assurance. So when we go to farms and and um, uh, and folks like that, we don't try to put the um, we don't try to put the whole corporate thing in front of their face, but we make sure that they're doing things with with good food uh, safety practices. Um, we you know we make sure that uh, first off, if it's hogs or beef or something, that they're raising them in, in a humane uh, manner. Uh, you know we're pretty specific as far as the breed, Berkshire Duroc. Um, and oh, you guys just, pretty much only process heritage breeds. What's that? You guys pretty much only manufacture heritage breeds, huh? Um, yeah, well, they're they're mixed breeds. I mean, it's a Berkshire Duroc, uh, you know, Old Chester uh, hybrid. Mid. Yeah, yeah, exactly hybrids. Um, and you know, we we make sure that they, uh, you know, that they're able to be in pasture and, and different things of that nature. We have a weight. Uh, that we're looking for. It's about 18 weeks, and they hang at about 200 pounds um, and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, and that's as far as the whole carcass animal. As far as, you know, sourcing products, uh, you, know, of, uh, you know, of other nature, like, um, you know, an organic bean or, or uh, you know, a granola or something that we do distribute to the colleges, we make sure that their practices as well are, are have food safety, that they have proper labeling, they have rodent control, they have food safety aspects in place. Sure. So it's basically guys like you that are helping this whole animal movement sort of gain ahead of steam. I mean, you guys facilitate the farmers and the consumers in, in, insofar as you prevent off-cuts from being wasted, right? I mean, you guys pretty much cut the whole animal, right, and find, oh, a, ho find a home for the whole animal? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's everything but the squeal. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know from head to tail, um, you know, is utilized. And what's your favorite off-cut? I'm sorry, what's that? What's your favorite off-cut? Oh, many. I mean, I love the jowl and, you know, into sausage and, and different things. I, I love, I'm, a, I'm a rib guy, I, you know, like that. Uh, um, I've been turned on to some really good head cheese and things of that nature. And talk to me about the mutually beneficial relationship that you have with small heritage farmers. I mean, they couldn't survive without you and you couldn't survive without them. How, how do you guys work together? To, to get this product to the consumer, and what are you doing to popularize heritage breeds? Well, um, it, yeah, it is, it is a relationship, you know, and, and what I try, how I'm trying to build uh, the movement is through commitment of the end user. Uh -huh. um, you know, I have a contract with up to 10 colleges in the area, and so what we're trying to develop is a percentage, a certain percentage of products, uh, local products uh, and proteins that are utilized in these facilities. And, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, in the corporate world, which, you know, somewhat I'm dealing with, you know, they, they, there's a lot of talk, but to make it happen is another thing. So we work real hard in, into, up, you know, up, upholding a very, very high standard as far as quality. Um, so when something is delivered, they'll want that product again. So as far as relational goes between us and the farmer, we work really hard together uh, to make sure that we can live up to the commitments that people are um, asking for. And on the other side, you know, asking for those commitments from the end user. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, how about, how, you know, when do you need more pork? When do you need more beef? Uh -huh. You know, when's the next time? How was the product? Always getting feedback 
of 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 every aspect, making sure that everything along the line works in a very very uh, uh, high quality way. Uh huh. And staying on this line of sort of. Uh, helping the food movement gain steam. I mean, as far as corporations and legislators go, they say they want to grow green and they say they want to go local, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've noticed being on the ground with how corporations and legislators are responding to this green move, to this green sustainable locavore movement? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a little tricky in the, in the way that, and I don't know if tricky is the right word, but everybody's obviously talking about it. It's the buzzword. And, and so, you know, everybody's, you know, uh, you know, wanting to, you know, advertise the fact that, oh, we're, you know, we're all about the green movement. We're all about all natural. We're all about supporting local. And for some facilities, that is very, very true. And they're, they're all about it, especially the chefs. I mean, the chefs are all about it. They want it. Mm-hmm. They, they want to be able to utilize, um, you know, their neighbors' products and the community's products because you know it's a sense of pride and quality and. But it's and, so and in vogue as, now. There's what's more, that? It's so in vogue now, and there's a more educated consumer base. It's almost like if you don't, if you don't do it this way, you're going to lose some business. Right, right. You know, um, but when you get into the corporate structure, and I've been in many, many meetings where, you know where it's, you know, snickered about basically saying, you know, we're only doing this for political reasons. Right. You know, the, you know and so there's a major disconnect uh, between, um, you know, the people on the ground, like the chefs and the farmers and, and, and myself wanting, uh, you know, these, these things to happen, all the way to the corporate ladder where, you, you know, you just can't stop that giant wheel. You know, you right. can't stop the giant wheel. They don't have time to pick up the napkin. You know, and, and, and they're, they're doing and saying things just to make sure that they can say they're, they're talking about it, you know, you know, type thing. So it is a little frustrating, but, um, you know, I do know for a fact that um, the more we, we do, we work it, the more we come across with the quality goods, the more that people have knowledge of what's going on and, 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 you know, the end user demanding it more and more and more and building the infrastructure to make it happen. Mm-hmm. It, it'll happen more and more, you know, it, it'll happen and so, it won't be talking points. It'll be reality. Actions. So, so in the years that you've been involved with meat, with the meat industry in the United States, what changes besides this sort of local centric philosophy have you have you seen it undergo? I mean, where, how far has it come? What are some of the big, big differences in the meat industry in now, as opposed to say at the turn of the millennium? Um, in the all natural movement, or yeah, in, in the well, I mean, in the meat industry in general. Okay, and and recently is that you know yeah, you know, in the past like decade, let's say now yeah, or um, even since since you've been running this company or since you've taken the taken the reins of this company yeah. Uh, well, there's, you know, God, there's so many things that are changing, obviously, today and, and, and stuff. But, you know, what I see is, in the good aspects of things, is that the, the consumer wants to be, wants to know. There was a time, I know my, my, my parents' generation, my mother could walk into a store, and she could go to the meat case. And she could look at the meat case and, and know 
what cuts were what? What was of quality grade? Mm-hmm. You know, what the value of a particular item was. Uh-huh. You know, and then in the 80s and the 90s, you know, your average parent or, you know, uh, mother or father would just go to the case not knowing what the heck it was, mm-hmm. simply looking at a price saying, oh, I'll get that because I can feed my three kids for, you know, 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what they were purchasing. They didn't know anything of quality or cuts or anything. Well, I believe that, that the, the um, desire to be educated, you know, from the consumer, mm-hmm. they want to know where their food came from. They want to know, you know, what's in it. They want to make sure that they're eating healthy and things of that nature. So I think that that's been, you know, uh, you know a turnaround in the last, um, you know, 10 years, I'll say, or five, five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's almost followed the economic boom in America. I mean, if you think about the 80s and 90s, I mean, that's when the mass production model came into the equation. And now, <laughs> economically, as, as, we, as we move backwards, it's sort of bringing us back to a more antiquated method of eating, really. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you're, and you're correct. And I, I always said, you know, um, you know this movement's going you know, to find, we're all going to find out if this is, um, you know, a real thing in people's hearts is when things turn south, are they going to sell their, their, their body for, uh, you know, that dime a pound, uh-huh. you know, or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, other aspects as far as, you know, um, you know, the industry is what I see more and more, and I don't know, the older I get, the more conspiracists I think, but, um, you know, the, some of the aspects I see is I, I do believe government wants to control food more and more and more. Sure. And, you know, it's power. You know, money's power, food's power, uh, you know, energy's power. Those things are power, and I think it's a sort of control. Uh-huh. And, and we've gone through third-party auditing, federal inspection, different things of that nature. We've kept up with the times. There's many, many facilities that in my area that were in business 20 years ago that just, they're not anymore. Just dropped off of the, the map. What's that? They just dropped off the map. They can't, they can't take on the regulations required to, to, to keep with the federal, the federal regs. Hmm. I mean, the paperwork and, and different things. And it costs a lot more money, too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah you know, time and effort. And, and frankly, um, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people in this industry are a certain breed. Uh-huh. You know, you know, they're 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 not going to necessarily sit down at a desk and take two hours to figure out their, you know, what where their deviations in their HACCP plan was this week. Uh-huh. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough to have good people working with me in my company and to uh, develop a very very good HACCP plan and to become third party audited and to follow all the all the rules and regs. But frankly, in my area, it's rare. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, I mean, hopefully this movement will continue to grow, and it's because of players like you that it's growing and will continue to do so. But listen, I want to shift gears for one second. I want to see if we can get your brother on the phone here because I want to plug your show that Absolutely. we got coming up on HRN here. Uh, the Purdies are gonna the Purdies are abstract musicians and abstract music producers, and they're gonna do sort of a DJ slash sustainable movement talk show. Is that right? Absolutely. Our, our show is gonna be uh, you know all about. Um, you know, all about what we do here in the industry and all about uh, what me and my brother have developed throughout our whole life as far as music. Um, you know, we've, we've been musicians our whole life, and, and, and we've, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, created our own little musical world and, and uh, you know, everything from dream pop to punk to, uh, you know, many, many different uh, aspects. And, and so we're really excited about displaying, you know, what we do here. 
Okay. And your show's going to start airing in about 10 days, right? That's right. Yep. I believe it's on a Thursday night. Okay. All right. So, so look out for the Purdy's show, music DJ set, and sustainable food movement talk radio. You got it. Um, we're, 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 we've come a, uh, across a good name that we're going to be utilizing. It's Custom Cuts of Meat and Music. <laughs> so, okay. I like that. You got it. Um, I wanted to introduce my brother Bill here, and, and uh, you know he's going to be uh, uh, definitely directing a good portion of the show and and uh, and whatnot. Well, hey, Bill. How are you? Hi. We're gonna. Have, we're, it's going to be a good show, fun and informative, kind of like a day in the life of producers of fine foods and great uh, eclectic wild music. Yeah. No, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it's, I'm pumped. I think it's going to be good. And our listeners should look out for it starting about 10 days from now, two weeks. Yes. Yep. Great. Well, to the Purdy's, we'd like to extend the Big Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. And well, thank you. Um, we can't wait for our premiere show. I appreciate your time very All much. All right. Bye, Dan. Bye, Bill. Thanks. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, Bye. the county and I drive the main road 